Thanks for tuning into the Refuge Church Sermon Podcast. It's our prayer that the Spirit would use God's Word to stir your affections for Christ during this time. While we're glad to provide this online content, please remember that it's not intended to replace commitment and connection within a local church family. Now, here's this week's message. Oh, hold on. Um, what I want to do is I want to take a minute and pray for... Uh, we usually do this during the offering time. I'm going to take a minute and pray for dads. Uh, this is uh, what we do, but also to let you know that we have a, not a new dad, but a dad now fourth blessed, fourth, is that now not fourth removed, fourth, <laughs> fourth time, fourth time father. Uh, we are excited to uh, announce, okay, and I'm going to need, I got a, I have a picture, uh, I'm sure it's not going to make it onto the um, feed, but uh, Sean and Ruth Reynolds welcomed Josiah, is it Jer? Is that how you pronounce middle name? Josiah Jer Reynolds, uh, seven pounds, five ounces on Friday, which is my little boy, my big little boy's birthday, and here's a picture of him. Can you zoom in on that, Jeremy? <laughs> okay. Um, but we are excited for Sean and Ruth. Uh, and um, <clears throat> congratulate them. I, I was amazed. I was like, I saw the picture, and I was like, wait a minute, I thought that was supposed to be a while from now, and I think everything's still supposed to be a while from now um, because it's been about three years this year, and so uh, we are excited for Sean and Ruth uh, to welcome baby number four, Josiah, uh, and with that, every, every time during our offering, uh, what we've been doing is we've been praying for different parts of our city, and so what I want to do right now is I want to pray for uh, fathers, but also for men. Uh, and then uh, Tiffany will come up and read, and we're going to start uh, a new sermon series. So if you would, uh, pray with me. <clears throat> God, you are good. Uh, you are holy. Um, you are mercy and love and all of those things. Uh, and so this morning, um, in particular, on Father's Day, I want to lift up to you fathers, um, but also just men in general. Um, uh, it... it some of the things that we have, have clinged to have, have gotten exposed and some of the things that have made it easy for, easier for us to not engage have been kind of exposed. And for men, it's a, it's a difficult world to walk in. Uh, and um, so I want to pray just uh, thank you for, for good fathers, um, for humble fathers, uh, for fathers who struggle but, but somehow... Um, continue to uh, show up and, and to do the work and to do hard work and press in to love and to be vulnerable and to admit that they can't be the saviors of the world uh, and to, to just continue um, uh, to, to work out their salvation in front of their uh, wives, in front of their kids. God, for men in general, um, we need, we, we are in need of you as our good and loving Father. If we've had bad examples, even if we've had good examples and the pressure feels overwhelming, you are our good and loving Father. And may we not try to manage this world on our own. May we not strive for a worldly value that says that we should be unaccountable or that we should stick our chests out or that we should just be angry at somebody or that we should revolt against all of that. Um, there's a toxic masculinity and there's a toxic revulsion to masculinity. And, and on both sides of those, God, I pray for men that we would be humbled, um, that we would stand in need uh, of our good and perfect and loving Heavenly Father. 
May you shepherd us this morning. May you um, speak words of encouragement. May you uh, demonstrate your love for us that we can stand uh, with confidence before your throne, knowing that we are loved, that you will look at us and say, well done, good and faithful servants. Save us from ourselves. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Matthew 13, verses 10 through 17. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he, and we, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear but never understand, and you will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed lest they should see with their eyes and, see, and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. This is the word of our Lord. We are, uh, are going to start a new sermon series this morning that will take us through the summer and probably beyond, um, and uh, we're going to look at the parables of Jesus. Uh, not quite all of them, but um, a lot of them, and we're going look to look at them in a succession that I'll, I'll point out next week. Uh, one of my favorite movies, uh, I loved it, especially as a teenager, uh, it was called Dead Poets Society, and if, if you know me and my pension for emotional stuff, uh, and you know the movie at all, and Robin Williams, and, and you know, the, the, the bit of maudlin that Robin Williams tends to always be over in the expression of uh, art and poetry and all that stuff, then that, that should not surprise you in the least that it's one of my uh, favorite movies where he, he is with a group of boys at, a, at an all-boys school, um, and he brings passion to re-examine the world through uh, an oft-marginalized subject like poetry. Uh, and, and, the, and yes, these young teenage boys get caught up uh, drinking the marrow out of life and poetry. Uh, and there's something beautiful and amazing. And what I love about Robin Williams' role in this is obviously him as the teacher. Uh, and, and he loves and has, has passion for what he's teaching. And he actually brings it to life. Um, and uh, there's something amazing about a teacher who loves uh, very much and is very passionate about teaching and conveying these truths in different ways, um, and uh, there's something amazing about a teacher that actually can, like, bring things to life. But, but 
it can also be frustrating. If we're coming at certain things from a certain angle, a teacher like that can be frustrating because they want you to actually learn. And if we come at something from the angle of, okay, well, is this going to be on the test? Or just tell me what I need to pass? Or um, is this a sin or is it not a sin? And if we come to it from an angle like that, a teacher like that uh, is going to be frustrating. And so this morning, as we go through uh, this sermon series, we're going to start on a, on a new um, series called Eyes to See uh, about the parables of Jesus. Jesus is a rabbi. Uh, he is often called teacher. He, he is the Savior, okay? Don't, don't hear me not say that, but he is a rabbi as well, and he's often called teacher. And parables are one of his main ways of teaching, um, but he taught parables a little different. Uh, illustrations and parables and stories are used throughout Scripture, and usually when we think of that, when we think of an illustration, we think, okay, this is something that you tell <clears throat> to um, kind of make something that might be complex and simplify it a little bit, right? Uh, that's not always why Jesus tells parables. In fact, sometimes Jesus tells parables, and they make simple things even more complex, and He confuses it a little bit, and He unseats us a little bit. And he muddies the water where we think it should be clear. Uh, and and if, if we come to Jesus with a question um, that's, that's very black and white, he didn't always give simple answers. Uh, sometimes if we come to him with a simple yes or no, Jesus, can, can you give us a simple yes or no answer on this? What Jesus might do is he might go, one day a man was fishing at sea. And you're like, wait, What? No, 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 no. Just yes or no. Answer the question. But he's not pinned down like that. And what we see in this passage here is this intro. Why do you talk to him in parables? We see coded language. Where the parables of Jesus were actually intentionally not understandable in some ways. You have eyes to see. They don't have eyes to see. And so I'm keeping this from them. Now, it's important that we understand context, which we'll keep, we'll keep uh, getting into that. Um, but that seems weird, doesn't it? Don't we think now Jesus should be very, very, very simple to understand? Jesus should be simple to convey? And in a lot of cases, yeah. But in some cases, like in the context that we're going to see, over and over again, we're going to see people, are, he'll tell a parable and people will be like, uh, I don't get it. And, he's, and he doesn't go, well, see, he goes, I know. You're like, wait a minute, that's not the Jesus we studied. And yet, here it is in the text. There's something that Jesus <clears throat> is doing in the parables, and it doesn't line up with the ways that we've always traditionally uh, read them or might be tempted to interpret them. Jesus is not, please know this, in the parables, Jesus is not just giving simply these moral guidelines and teachings. Is there morality in the, do we need to see that in there? Yes, it's there, but that's not really the main point of a lot of his parables. Uh, and, and what's more, there, there's, there, there is something more. There's something more behind this. Jesus is actually announcing something. He's proclaiming something. Early on, he keeps it a little bit more hidden and a little bit more out there, but eventually, as he gets closer to Jerusalem, and then in Jerusalem, he's pretty blunt and in, in your face about what he is proclaiming and what he is presenting. There's something that's being revealed even in his presence that he is making known. This kingdom that he's actually ushering in. 
And so our temptation is to take parables or any, really anything in the Bible. Our temptation is to, to take that and go, okay, what do I need to take from this? What do I need to learn? What's in this for me? And, and we have to stop. We have to resist that. We've got to stop. We have to see it in its original, the, the parables, we have to see them in their original context. We have to understand what Jesus is saying and who he is saying it to. And yes, there's always going to be something for us to take from the parables, but it might not be what we think. And this passage right here gives us a warning. If we're too quick to summarize, and if we're too quick to moralize and carry on about our merry way, not only might we miss what Jesus is teaching, but we also might miss Jesus himself. So here's three things that I'm going to give you. As we go through the summer, this is kind of an intro sermon. As we go through several parables, I'm going to give you three statements that are going to help us as we sit down and read through the parables, whether you're doing it in private as we're teaching and preaching on them, but as we read through the tables. I'm going to give you three statements. Here's the first statement, okay? This is not about me. This is not about me. Second, we must listen in order to hear. And then third, to love Jesus is to know Him to follow him, and to submit to him. Okay? So, that's our outline for this morning. We'll break that down. First, it's not about me. All right? This is Father's Day, so I figured I'd start off with a dad joke. All right? Guy goes to a baseball game, and he gets a hot dog and a popcorn and a soda, and he sits down in the first inning, he hears this, hey, Steve. And so he sets down his hot dog and his popcorn and his soda, and he gets up and he turns around and he looks, he doesn't see anybody. So he sits back down, he p- picks up his hot dog and his popcorn and his soda, and then about the, about the fourth inning, he hears this, hey, Steve! So he sets down his hot dog and his popcorn and his soda, and he gets up and he turns around and he looks again, and he still doesn't see anybody. He's kind of frustrated, so he sits back down and picks up his hot dog and his popcorn and his soda, and he's sitting there, and then finally about the seventh inning, he hears it again, hey, Steve! And so he sets down his hot dog and his popcorn and his soda, and he gets up and he turns around and he goes, hey! My name's not Steve. All right. See, dads are laughing. One of the greatest dangers of the Bible, one of the greatest dangers to reading the parables is to immediately think this is about me. What do I need to hear from this? What's in this for me? What do I take from this? Obviously, Jesus is talking to me directly here. We can think about it without context. And honestly, this is one of the dangers in reading all of Scripture, and it's one of the dangers in our consumer-driven culture as we've been raised and taught and fed. This is about you, life, existence, meaning, all of these new products and features and everything is to finally give you what you need. It has to be about me, my entertainment, my needs, my particular situation, my suffering, my grievance. We've learned to dismiss others' experiences because if we haven't experienced life in that way, then, then it must not exist. It must not even be real. And that's a danger. This is not about me. Now, in the parables of Jesus, this doesn't mean we don't have something to learn. In fact, maybe the first thing that we need to learn is the Bible is not about me. But if we shortcut the process and we miss the original context and what Jesus is is announcing, 
If we're not careful, we could miss Jesus himself. There's an interesting story in Luke 14 where Jesus is invited to this feast. And this is a feast given among the social elites. And they're all gathered. And, and, and Jesus is at this feast telling parables. And I, I, I'm just trying to picture how this is all going down as Jesus, these guys are, because he's in Jerusalem. It's near the end of his ministry. And all these guys are jockeying for position. There was a way that where you sat at the table and who you sat next to and how close you were to the to the, the person hosting and all that. It was all social status, and these people are doing this. And so Jesus tells a couple of parables, and then one parable, he's like, he's like you know, it'd be great as if, if we threw a feast for the poor and the marginalized. How would that go? And then one guy, feeling, he had to feel really good about himself, he said, well, blessed is anybody who gets to feast in the kingdom of God. And then Jesus tells this parable about a king who throws a feast for guys like this. And they're too busy with other things to come to this feast. In fact, they're too busy jockeying for position, caring about what the other people at the party are thinking about them. They're like, I don't have time for you. And so the king goes, all right, I'm going to invite the homeless. I'm going to invite the marginalized. I'm going to invite the women of the night. I'm going to invite all those people that you've dismissed. And they're going to come and they're going to feast and they're going to party. And here's what Jesus is saying in that. The kingdom of God is sitting in your presence, the party that the king is throwing, and you're more concerned about what these other guys think. You, you are missing the party in your presence right now. This is you. This feast is not the feast. This feast is you being too busy to recognize the kingdom of God is in your midst. If we're not careful, if we think it's about us, we're not only missing the point, we're actually we're in danger of missing Jesus himself. The Bible's not about me, it's not about you, it is about Jesus. We can't take the Bible, we can, but, but we shouldn't. We ought to be cautious about taking the Bible and manipulating it to fit our views and our fancies and our personal agendas. It shows over and over again, one thing that Scripture makes abundantly clear, Old and New Testament, is that God can raise up rocks to cry out. We are not needed. We're not essential. Now, Jesus loves us. He loves us deeply. And even this crew here, all jockeying for position in Luke 14, he's, he wants them to recognize it. But they don't. Growing up, uh, I love, and I still, I love Rich Mullins. Uh, who's a musician, and his lyrics, especially over the, uh, over the last uh, several months in, in these uncertain times, <laughs> which is, you know, according to everybody, from Amazon to Nissan to, that, that rhymed. Uh, anyway, um, his lyrics have both comforted me and haunted me, and one of the lyrics that in, in one of his songs says this, it took the hand of God Almighty to part the waters and the seas, but it only took one little lie to separate you and me. We are not as strong as we think we are. We are not the hero of our messed up lives. And listen, this can come through pride and arrogance. This can also come through insecurity and fear, where we think, I'm the only one that can solve this problem, or if I don't solve this problem, who's going to? We're not the hero of our messed up lives. And unfortunately, unfortunately, the more we tend to possess, the more personal power and freedom we have, the more stuff we have, the more we have a tendency to put ourselves in the wrong position. We need 
a Savior. We need a rescuer. And the Bible tells us about Him. So that's first. It's not about me. Second, when it comes to the parables, we must listen in order to hear. Now, you might think, well, yeah, duh. Um, I was in this, taking this class in seminary, and I, I don't remember which class it was. I, I think it was a New Testament class. Uh, but one of the things that we talked about was um, our presuppositions. We talked about that all the time. And we would read like a short little passage of Scripture, and our, and our professor would have us write out. He said, I want you to write 50 presuppositions that you're tempted to come to with uh, this text with. And I'm like, 50? Are you kidding? And I realized how easy it was. I was like, oh, I have a lot. Here, if you're not familiar, here's what a presupposition is. A presupposition is, is basically, it's a pre-narrative that we have. It's something that we bring into the text that we think it says. Whether it says it or not, this is what we assume or presume. Um, and we read it into. We, we bring a lot of baggage when we read the Bible. We bring a lot of baggage into all of our relationships. We bring the way we think things should go. And an old illustration that I've always used about this. Today's my 23rd wedding anniversary, and this is something we've gotten past. So this is, uh, this is something we've gotten over. But early on, this was a presupposition. I knew that every sane person on the planet um, has toilet paper coming over the top, right? Um, but for some reason, in Lebanon, Missouri, they didn't teach that. Uh, and, and I would go down there, and her parents, like, would not go visit her. Her family just didn't care how you put the toilet paper on. And I thought, what kind of madness is this? Who does this? Um, and I've come to find, that's the tip of the iceberg. <laughs> I'm trusting that my in-laws are not watching this. Um, right, so we have presuppositions. Of course everybody puts toilet paper over the top. And then we find out some people don't do that. Of course, everybody starts from the bottom of the toothpaste and rolls up. And then you find out about these madmen that just like put toothpaste, like it goes everywhere and cakes up on the stuff. Of course, there's an order and structure of how you put the dishwasher. I'm only picking the ones that I do well at, by the way. Um, right? Uh, we are tempted to bring our presuppositions into every situation, but especially into the Bible. Uh, culturally, listening and hearing is not really high on our priority, Right? Right? We are, have you ever had a discussion with somebody where they're bringing a good argument, but you're not listening to it because you're preparing your counter-argument? Um, and or when it's our side, we're, over, we're willing to overlook a whole lot of inconsistencies to bring the main point. When it's somebody else's side, we way overlook the main point and bring out all the worst, of what, worst interpretation of what they said. We're not really good at, at listening. Uh, I did a preaching class here for, for a few pastors, and we just, we just took a few weeks to go through, and, and what we used to, to go through this um, stuff was uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And the first question I asked was, uh, what's going on in the text? Who's involved? What's going on in the text? And you know what the first thing every guy did was? Talked about how they were going to preach it. And I said, guys, we've spent 10 minutes talking about how we're going to preach this, and not once have we said what's in the text. Now, I felt really good about myself that day, but we do that. Oh, man, we do that. We come to the text with this is how I'm going to preach it. And then we've got to go, wait a minute, is it in there? If we're not careful, we're going to presume the text. We're going to presume Jesus. And what we're going to see through the parables is that Jesus will not be presumed. He will not be. 
He won't be brought into our agenda. And we will end up extremely disappointed if we try to do that. And those who approach Jesus either trying to set him up in some way or trying to get him on their side are going to walk away frustrated. But, but there is another way. We do see some other examples, some good examples, but they're not quite from the people that we think they should be. If we approach his parables with great humility, if we approach Jesus' parables going, okay, I'm ready to have my agendas exposed. I'm ready to have my kingdom dismantled. I'm ready to have my stuff messed with. If we're okay for Jesus to destroy our paradigms in the ways we think God's kingdom ought to be run, that can, and, and oftentimes when, when we have a way that we think God's kingdom ought to be run, it looks strikingly like our own kingdoms. But if we're okay with those being destroyed and Jesus standing there firm yet welcoming in the midst of the rubble, this could be good. This could be good. When, when the rich young man comes to Jesus, Jesus tells him to sell everything he owns and follow him. I mean, he wanted to know about eternal life. How do I inherit eternal life? Jesus says, sell everything you own and follow me. Uh, one of the parables Jesus tells is about the pearl of great price. When the guy found the field with the pearl of great price, what did he do? He sold everything. This is worth everything. But this guy, he walked away sad. The rich young ruler did. Why? Because he had a lot of stuff. Now, in one sense, God does not give that same command to everyone, okay? So just know that. And yet, in another sense, um, I'm not sure that I'd really want to address how I would fare with that question. When Jesus announces his kingdom, he upends every other possible kingdom and, and the other, every other kingdom agenda that's, uh, agenda that's brought to him. And he does this often in his parables. He doesn't just give us a straight A or B answer necessarily. Sometimes he tells a story with an obvious answer and we have to go, yeah, wait. Who, which one am I in that story? And Jesus is like, I've spoken my piece. Right? A danger of reading this passage that we read where Jesus starts off the parables is to reading it, reading it and applying it to other people. That this is Jesus owning the libs or this is Jesus denouncing the fundies. Uh, and if we're tempted to read this passage and only apply it to other people, let me encourage you, I want to encourage all of us to strongly engage in this sermon series. And even more so in, in the uh, parables of Jesus to examine our heart. And if you hear that part of examine our heart, like this is my temptation, I hear that part examine my heart and I go, amen. It's tricky, right? Our enemy is tricky. That might be a warning sign. But what if we hear it and we go, okay, yep, yep, I need that. That's good. Some of us may come to this, may come to these parables with our own agendas and our own just yes or no black and white questions. And we're going to read this passage in Matthew 13, and it may get to us a bit. In fact, um, may, maybe we should say it should get to us a little bit. 
if we read this passage in, in Matthew 13 and we're like, there's people who are just not going to understand. Now, there's a context to this, and, and we'll, we'll get back to it, um, but this is an intro uh, sermon. So, um, but it, it, maybe it should. If it causes some concern in my heart, and we look and we go, well, well wait a minute, is, is that me? Am, am I the one that's not going to understand? Am I the one that can read? Like, I feel like I've got a pretty good idea of what he's saying here, but is that, gonna, is that me? Am I going to have ears but never hear? Do I have eyes and never see? And here's the deal. Let me tell you something. I'm not saying we, 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 don't, we don't have to live in that paralyzed fear at all, and that's not, what, that's not what I'm bringing out here. But if this messes with us enough, and if we're honest enough and brave enough to ask that question, here's where that leaves us. It leaves us in desperate need to be comforted. And guess who's there to comfort us? God himself. That's the promise. This is the call that we're going to go throughout. This is where Jesus is going to leave us in the midst of all of this. And this, this is the secret, and it's both incredibly simple and incredibly profound. Okay? When we say we just need to love Jesus. Yeah. I mean, that's it. That's way more than any of us ever think, right? If you're married, we just need to love your spouse. Okay. I always joke after I do a wedding, when after they're, and they go down the aisle, and they're, and they're like, thank you, this was good, blah, blah, blah. And I say, yeah, this is great. I said, now all you have to do is be married. And they're like, ha, 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 And I'm like, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> right? Um, just love Jesus with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Yeah, but here's the thing. To love Jesus, this is true, but to love Jesus is to listen to Jesus, it's to know Jesus, it's to follow Jesus, and it's to submit to Jesus. If we say we love Jesus as if he's just our supreme enabler, that he just loves me and he, he just wants me to be happy and wants me to do what all I want, let me tell you, we will be immensely disappointed when Jesus feeds the 5,000, we'll go through that. That's a key moment in this that I'll explain next week. When he feeds the 5,000, they're like, man, this guy's amazing. And then they follow him across the other side of the sea in John, and they're like, hey, do that again. And he's like, I'm, I'm going to feed you the bread of life. I am the bread of life. And they're like, oh, this got weird. Jesus is not the supreme enabler. If we expect Jesus to be the one to go to bat for our team, those people just need Jesus. And we expect Jesus to be on the, you know, the big at bat for our team. Base is loaded and Jesus is up to bat. We're going to be supremely disappointed when he lays it down and takes the strikeout. All right, that's a baseball analogy. Baseball used to be a sport that we played uh, before, um, before all sports went to uh, cornhole. <laughs> which is apparently all ESPNs are now replays and cornhole. Um, but you can still play cornhole live, I think. Nobody cares. <laughs> Sandbags, cornhole, you guys know what I'm talking about? All right. Okay. <clears throat> um, uh, a few weeks ago, I was listening to a podcast. It was super helpful um, uh, and convicting. 
And it, used, it's, it was an evaluative tool. It was talking about an evaluative tool. And the tool was really, it wasn't to necessarily fix you, but it was to help you see and observe where you are and why you're doing the things that you're doing or why I'm doing the things that I'm doing. And then doing those things, it also gave a path. This is where this usually leads, which then leads to this. Uh, and, and, um, and, and the... The question that it would ask was this, right now, am I accepting life on God's terms? And if not, where am I at in the process of not accepting life on God's terms? Because that carries out, right? It doesn't just, you know, it's not just I accept life on God's terms and things go well and then I don't and things go bad, but it leads down a path. When things are great, things are great. And sometimes we don't realize it. But sometimes we forget priorities. We forget to intentionally bring all of our joys and sorrows before God. We forget the practices and the habits of living life in daily dependence on God. And when we do that, things start to pile up. We start feeling anxious about stuff. And then we, and then we kind of like have to get control of it. So we pile it on a little bit more and a little bit more. And then we find out that doesn't work. Uh, and so we just feel this over, we get angry because why in the world, God, are you letting these? And things compound because we sin and we cope, and then that doesn't work, and so we, and, and then we get exhausted, and then following that, really, it's just pick your addiction. And so it was really helpful. The question, the diagnostic that got it all started, am I accepting life on God's terms? If something's not going my way, am I engaging and trusting and moving toward God in my every day? Or am I trying to control it? And let me tell you something. It, it, the diagnostic tool is very helpful to always bring me back there. Um, but it, it, helps me, it helps me see, am I trying to control it? Am I trying to manipulate or cope with other things? If something's going, not going my way, if I'm feeling anxious about something, if I'm angry or if I'm struggling, am I able to see that and then go, okay, I'm obviously not living life on God's terms. All right, it's Father's Day, so I'm going to see if I can work this out, men. Um, let me see if I can work this out uh, that I've seen it in, in so many men's lives, okay? This is going to get painful before it gets better, and, but it'll be quick. There's a lot of cultural teaching, a lot of expectations uh, and such that put men in the position of being chiefly accountable, and, and, and I, I don't think that in and of itself is necessarily bad, but it's what we think we're chiefly accountable for, okay? Because um, it, it tells us to be chiefly accountable, but then it provides no outlet, no room for vulnerability or help or confession. So there's this internal shame and hurt that goes on and, and honestly, there's also an external shame and hurt that is piled on there uh, with the expectation for men or a man to be the Savior, to ride in on the white horse. But there's not much to do when, when we find out, men especially, when we find out often early on that we are not the Savior, that we are not the hero and that we're really bad at it. And it's traumatizing to everybody to find out that we are not the Savior, especially us. So, the 
temptation for men is to either just throw that off and try to outdo everybody. How many men operate in insecurity? I read a thing the other day on addiction. Most men's addiction, uh, addictions stem from a wound in junior high. And I'm looking at the guys in here going, I know which one it is. If, if we break our arm, we go to the doctor and, says, and say, this is where I hurt. And the doctor goes, okay, we can work on it now. If we get wounded in here, even if it's junior high, we're like, stuff it down. That'll never happen again. He will never take my bike again. He will never leave me to go hang out with other friends again. Um, And so we have this, we, we either go unaccountable or we hide and we take the stress and the anxiety that builds up and then we take that into hidden places and it leads to addiction and it leads to burnout and it leads to exhaustion and it manifests itself often in anger and, and sometimes trying to be more manly and what we just, we just need more manliness and more toxic stuff um, and we operate totally out of insecurity while feeling the need to kind of prop ourselves up. So let me offer you a better way, a better view of Jesus, okay? Come to me. Let me upend that kingdom. I'm not saying, I'm not saying you have to be a feeler, but let me help you down off that white horse. Let me upend your kingdom. Let me, let me be the Savior. You may be a father, but you still need the Father. And so we let Jesus upend that false kingdom and help us off the white horse. And then, and then, here's the deal. What if there were a community of other men who were open and inviting where you could actually walk in and go, guys, here's my crap and this is what I'm struggling with and this is where I feel this hurt and I feel like I'm supposed to be all these things. And if anybody found out that I'm not all these things, it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to traumatize everybody, and I'm going to be crushed. And these other guys, instead of going, eh, well, you know, or, or going, dude, I can't believe it because I have all my stuff together. What if this other group of guys were like, hey, we love you. We're for you. Let's fight this together. What if that was the picture of the church? What if that was how the church worked? What if that's how men fought for each other instead of trying to puff their chests out? And, and even another thing, oh, you think that's bad? Well, I mean, men are just terrible at this. We will one-up everything, even each other's sin. So, application first. Uh, for the first application, I hope that's a, do- a hopeful, helpful diagnostic for you. Um, this doesn't make things easy. It doesn't take these things away, but it gives me a place to come before God in his throne to even acknowledge, God, I'm trying to handle this on my own right now, and it's not going well. Um, uh, yeah, it hasn't made things easier. Um, it hasn't made the struggles disappear. It's done ba- battle with the added baggage, right? The things that compound. I sin here, and so did 
to, or I feel this void here, and so to fight that void here, I sin over here because that helps me forget this void, but then that brings up all this stuff, and I can't deal with it, so I'm going to sin over here to do, like, and Jesus is like, yeah, I see it. Come to me. This is an invitation to examine our thoughts and our struggles and our motives as we go through this series. Am I able to accept life on God's terms? And if not, and not just like the shame and condemnation as if Jesus is riding in on his white horse looking at you like this, but like this, um, this invitation. If I'm not there right now, what am I chasing after? Why do I need the extra fries? Why do I need the second beer? Why do I need the third dessert? This is all food. This is my problem. Why do I need a few extra hours of gaming or the newest thing on Amazon? Can we stop and like observe these things taking place instead of being able to accept life on God's terms? So that's the first thing, application. Begin to ask yourself through these. Where am I not accepting life on God's terms? But also we have to know what God's terms are. To love, to love Jesus is to know him and submit to him. Um, nothing challenges me more than having to prepare enough and read enough to actually have to teach something, right? To know the Bible enough to have, to have to teach it and what's there and what's not there and what's been taught and what's not been taught and what are the different opinions on these things. Um, uh, and, and when I'm studying to prepare to teach, I get confronted with my own stuff. I see things that I never knew were in there, and then I don't see things that I was always taught were in there. Uh, and, and this in particular, these parables, this is, these are the words of Jesus. All of, Bible is, all of the Bible, uh, all of Scripture is God-inspired, beneficial for holiness and reproof. I'm not saying that. But there's often something quite refining about the words of Jesus himself. So, the second application, what I want to encourage you to do, study. Read the parables. Get into them. Some of them you're going to be like, what? And some of them were all. Like, even the commentators were like, I don't know. I, I think he's saying this, but I don't know. Some of them are, are, are hard to kind of get to. But get in there. Read. Listen. We're not going to cover all of them, but I'll tell you, there's enough in there. I'll, we'll put a list out of all the different parables. Get in there and study them and learn them. There's a Bible Project podcast um, that goes through the parables, four or five, uh, four or five episodes. Listen to it. We'll post the links. We'll put them on the app. We'll put them on the, on the Facebook page. Let Jesus mess with you. And then while he's messing with you, be humble enough to actually trust him to be the one to comfort you and give the community around you to comfort you. And be a comfort to those uh, that are near you. Every other movement right now, every other agenda, good or bad, your side or not, things that I love, things that I don't, every other agenda will eventually leave you bitter and dry. Jesus is the wellspring of life that will actually fill you up and give you rest. All right? So, as we go through this sermon series, let's... let's I want to invite you, join along. Let Jesus upend our kingdoms. Let him confront us. Let him mess with us. Let me pray. Thank you, Jesus. Um, This is a weird confession, but Jesus, thank you that sometimes you're really frustrating. (laughs) Thank you that that sometimes you, when you see and know our hearts uh, and the Holy Spirit is at work in us, you give us a, a calm pat on the shoulder and a reminder that I love you. 
And sometimes we come to you and we're like, if you would just do this and, and you, you launch into some weird parable about, about a guy in a basket or a woman in a coin and, and we just want a yes or no answer, but you make us stop and, and examine where we're really at, what we're really asking. And it's because your goal is not to just equip us with differing answers. Your goal is for us to follow you and trust you and to imbibe deeply in the kingdom of God that you have ushered in. And so, God, we invite you, wherever we're at, um, may we invite you to, to mess with us and to do it for, for your glory. And may we find hope that you are also the one who comforts us and renews us, and gives us wings like eagles. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Building our identity in Christ for the sake of the world. That's the mission of Refuge Church. For more information, visit us online at seekrefuge.net.